Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Swarley and Teddy Westside. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Lacuna, Inc. Remember, with Lacuna, you can forget. Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a show where we like to discuss movies in great detail, um, which is a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the new Star Wars, The Last Jedi, then be forewarned. But we will like to dig into, I don't know, a variety of things, I guess, as filmmakers. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess we're technically both producers, though I do it far more reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it, I and do you're good it at it. Out yeah. of necessity. Good in terms of results, not good in terms of stress. Results is all that matters. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) So today we'll talk about a lot of things in regards to Star Wars. Like I said, if you haven't seen it, spoilers are heading your way. Yep. Uh, We're going to be talking about theme. We're going to do a little visual analysis. Uh, We also have, drum roll please, a very exciting interview with Dr. Stephen Vance, who is a planetary chemist an astrobiologist who works at JPL NASA. Not just NASA, but Jet Propulsion Lab NASA. Yeah, yeah. That's so freaking cool. I'm so excited about that. I know, I know, me too. So uh. by all means, stay tuned. And even if you don't like what we have to say, maybe stick around or fast forward to just hear what he has to say. Yeah. <laughs> because he is gonna be, he's going to make it worth your time, I yeah, promise. Yeah, definitely. He does a great job of not making me feel like a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> or me. Yeah, even though in context, we definitely are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, everything he has to say is like super interesting. And then he gives us a little gem at the end there. So oh make sure to listen all the way to the end. By all means. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to give you a quick synopsis of uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Rey develops her newly discovered abilities with the guidance of Luke Skywalker, who is unsettled by the strength of her powers. Meanwhile, the Resistance prepares to do battle with the First Order. Written and directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Daisy Ridley as Rey, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, John Boyega as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe, and Domhnall Gleeson as General Hux. You've seen this place. trailer for the yeah. wrong movie yeah <laughs> holy crap i haven't seen so i walked into this without having seen any trailers i just walked in cold and i'm really glad because yeah. you know as a i guess we'll just start off right off the bat by saying hated it <laughs> this is the worst star wars movie so i've awful. ever seen and i'm including the original i 
Wes, you're going to have to go back and watch the first, the the, uh, the prequels. Do the legwork. I refuse to, but you're going to have to go do that and then tell me if this is worse than them. Uh, From what I remember, it's, it's man. It, sitting uh, through The Last Jedi certainly was by midway, at, probably maybe at the latest, the last third of the movie. I was like, this is as bad as any of those prequels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. For, for completely different reasons, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, right? Because yeah. The prequels weren't visually beautiful. The aesthetics just weren't there, and there's a lot of issues with and them. CGI was that. horrible. Yeah. yeah, but this characters. This while it had you know its visual blips, it wasn't. That wasn't its issue. Yeah, at all. <laughs> it, it was the story or lack thereof. I mean it. <laughs> but we, watching we, that trailer just now, I was just yeah. like. Oh my god! I'm excited to see that movie. I do want to see that movie because all those moments are shortly followed up with these little like fart jokes, you know, yeah. more or less. It was just kind of so the movie opens with a joke. Yeah, it the, opens with a joke. The crank call. Yeah, just and then throughout the entire rest of the movie, there are all of these these little like funny things. Um, or Funnies trying to be, fu- yeah, <laughs> like trying to be funny, amusing, and and it just is not at all. And it's it's this is very surprising because we like Ryan Johnson. Yeah, you, like he's really really good. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I mean he's you've said it before. He's one of he's one of the best writer slash directors mm-hmm. out there, yep. right? I mean yep. Looper is mm-hmm. a great example of what we we just did, and so we that's one of the reasons why we were both really excited to see this. That mm-hmm. and I had seen that trailer, and that's ex- exciting. It's it's a a good trailer. Too bad that those were all the best little moments in the movie. And those weren't even that good. It was just you had a good score behind that trailer. Yeah. And it was edited well. It was edited well. It gave it gave you a really heightened sense of drama. Yeah. And oh. there was zero drama in this entire movie. It, it, was, it, it felt like I was watching a sitcom the whole time. Yeah. No, it really did. It, it, or an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. And it was unfortunate because any drama that they began to develop, they would just undercut with this shoddy yeah. humor. Yeah. And it was wildly frustrating. I mean, he's done that before. Like, watching Looper, there's one moment when there's this gunfight breaking out where everything's really tense, and suddenly, you know, you hear a guy from a a distance running into his own doom, and it's a punchline, and it strips away the tension, but I let it go because overall is still so much happening. That's as much as I can tell you without actually getting into spoiler territory. But here, every time I was getting invested in something... I there is actually a, several things I really did enjoy in this film, but they were just all undercut with a lot of things. Like I really enjoyed the uh, the expansion, and maybe Star Wars purists, you know, didn't enjoy the expansion of the the powers of the Force, right? The the bridging of the the conversation. I was like, okay, that's interesting. It's it's a new wrinkle. I'm all for it, you know, sure. opening up the world and yeah, that, trying to tell new stories. That was actually cool. I, I did like that. I'm okay idea. with that stuff, right? Like the original had its limitations of the force and we're in a, we're in a new era. We're, we're doing new things and it's okay. We're in a new trilogy to, to redefine that in, in a new way to create these new wrinkles. And that was really cool, but they would, uh, they would do these things like, you know, he's got his shirt off and suddenly we're trying to have this dramatic tension between these two characters uh, across the universe. And 
we're making shirtless jokes. Um, and it's just really frustrating because I want to be pulled in and you're killing my suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I'm but, not going to watch a Star Wars movie to laugh. No. Don't try to make me laugh. No. And traditionally, it's not that there wasn't any humor in Star right, Wars. Yeah, yeah. We, but you would you know, restrict it to maybe one or two characters as your actual comic relief. And then the rest of the jokes kind of came out of the characters themselves, right? Yeah. The interaction of Han and Leia – that was just his nature of, of a of a jerk outlaw. Mm. Like with a heart of gold, you know, sure, that's kind of the, the running theme with him is he always ended up doing the right thing by his friends. But he would still make passes at Leia and uh, ruffle her feathers or, you know, say the wrong thing at the right time kind of stuff. And that was okay because it was built into the nature of his character. Kind of like Finn, I think I kind of draw those parallels more than I do Poe and Han, which is the more – parallel that they're going for because Finn is funny on average. They they give him some jokes in here that I hated, but on average, like he's funny because you can sense his excitement of the world and his, uh, just trying to ex- explore and understand the universe around him. And comedy kind of comes out of that, out of his just excellent performance. Yeah. And here it's just not at all working with the rest because suddenly you're introducing characters that, have no too much too much comic relief is happening with too many characters and especially those little bird creature things yeah whatever those things are the little tweety birds that chewy becomes friends with like they serve no function to the story whatsoever you can hate the ewoks all you want but they serve a function yeah yeah and these these guys were just there for window decoration to sell merchandise later that's exactly what it was and 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 what what role did chewy have in this movie zero he was there why he would swoop in i think once or twice but there are still these kind of gaping holes in the the story like okay so he swoops in to save daisy off the ship i don't they, we never see these little transactions happening. Yeah, but if you're going to have him in, like, yeah. do something with him. C three C three PO and R two D two. That's the comic relief. Yeah, right. right, right. Use that. That is the original comic relief. C three PO is your yeah. nothing. I mean, he's an idiot in this. C three PO is an idiot in this movie, and it's it's infuriating. They took. I feel like he was trying to make he, he was trying to to fix all the issues with the the last version but then completely has his all of his own all these new issues are all his own doing and it, it was funny after the movie I'm sitting there and we're we're talking and <laughs> I don't re- I don't there nothing happened yeah. there was no story literally it was and the entire it was an episode is what it was it a two and exactly a half hour episode like. yes. of the the ship moving away you know at slowly just like moving I'm like we have what a is slow that? motion space chase yeah what what in the f is that going doesn't on? make any sense and then the, and then um oh my god <laughs> leia getting blown out into space and then not dying and fly, just flying herself back into this into the into the spaceship 
That greatest sin for me is that it looks ridiculous. It, it compl- whole thing is pointless. It there's no there's no purpose to this movie at all. Ryan just completely shit the bed in every way. There's no story. I don't like any of the characters. I don't feel vested in any of them. Luke Skywalker dies in the end. Why? Because he's tired. Because he just concentrated so hard. Yeah. Using the force. Yeah, for me that might have been a, a wrinkle too far. <laughs> 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 Suddenly, just you can die by using the force. That seems counterintuitive. Yeah, because we've never gotten the sense before that using the force was really all that exhausting. I mean, I guess to some extent, I'm, but it was more hard to use than it was exhausting to use. Yeah, it was the sense that I I remember getting. So we. Right at the first thing I told you right after this movie was that remember in episode seven how much I hated Kylo Ren. Right. I yep. did not like Kylo Ren. I did not like Adam Driver playing Kylo Ren. And the only time I liked him was when he had his helmet on and at, when he took it off, it was just like, oh, this is a whiny little, little punk. And I don't like him at all. He was the best part of this movie for me. Yeah. He, there was more development, character development with him, and maybe a little bit of Ray, you know, yeah. just because the you know the, the bridging with the Force and mm-hmm. stuff. But but for the for the most part, it was just all about Kylo Ren and Adam Driver nailed it. I thought he did a really good job, and I thought that that character development at least was. I'm trying to find some some salvageable thing about this movie because it made me mad. It it. It it really did. Um, so th- that would be the salvageable thing, I would think. Kylo Ren actually became a character for me instead of like somebody that I just, you know, could take or leave. That's good. Um, I mean, as far as moments that I liked, I liked, I liked their story together, and I liked especially where it looked like it was heading. Yes. Whenever it looked like maybe they joined powers. Yes. Which will make sense in a little bit. I'll go into the theme and what I think Ryan Johnson was trying to do here. But that would have made so much more sense. But I also I enjoyed the fight sequence. I mostly enjoyed that throne room. Like visually, mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting. All these beautiful reds, and we finally get to see the Empire's guard fighting in a fight. I don't remember ever seeing them actually fight before. Mm-hmm. Whatever they're called, I'm the Praetorian. I don't yeah. know what their actual yeah. titles are. Because I mean, for me, and I'll back it way up. Like. I grew up on Star Wars, but I wouldn't say I am, you know, a fanatic. Like, I grew up watching a lot of Star Wars, playing lightsabers with my brother. Beyond that, though, like, I didn't care for the the prequels, but I wasn't one of the people saying that it ruined my childhood, that kind of thing. Uh, Those didn't really affect me. I was like, I enjoyed them in the theater. Then when I walked out, you know, the next day I woke up and I was like, actually, that was a terrible movie. (laughs) You're just excited to see lightsabers, you know, flaring and force powers. And that's worked on me every single movie. When I saw Phantom Menace, when I saw the prequels, I was enjoying it, even if only to see Jedi's on screen. Mm-hmm. It worked on me in The Force Awakens, even though I don't love that movie. I like it. It's a fun popcorn movie. I can enjoy it. Um, but there, you know, mm, what I need, out, yeah, <laughs> what I need out of a film, it doesn't like do it all the way for me. And this, I couldn't do that, but. My problem with Star Wars, having said all that, is it's still, for some reason, and I, I couldn't begin to tell you, it's the most stressful movies for me to watch for the first time. Like, I, am, I walk in 
with just a mountain of stress. Yeah. And I don't know. Part of it is expectation. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting and hoping for something amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is uh, I also don't want it to be spoiled by anybody around me. And I just have lost all faith in humanity in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> when is Alamo going to start giving us headphones? Right. Please, or just the jack. I'll bring my own. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so I do. I sit down, and I'm stressed out for you know the first 15 minutes of the movie as I'm trying to get myself to enjoy this. The same thing kind of happens with Game of Thrones. It's not as bad as with Game of Thrones as it is with Star Wars. Like, however you've seen me watch Thrones, multiply it by like 50. It's, yeah, yeah. It's wildly <laughs> stressful for me. And sitting and watching this movie, yeah, man, halfway... Not even halfway. I mean, it took me 10 minutes to like, oh, God, Mm -hmm. this is happening. And then, yeah, by the halfway, I'm like, this is the worst movie. I'm never watching this again. I was so angry. I was so angry. Yeah. (laughs) And I walked out fuming. I left. And you didn't have anyone to talk to because you went and saw it by yourself. I went and saw it by myself at the midnight screening. And I was seated, seated in like the middle of the row. And I managed to leave. The moment the lights, I don't think Ryan Johnson's name was off the screen before uh, I was out of the theater. Wow. Like I left qu- as quick as humanly possible. I was so mad. I came home. I don't know. I think I tried to watch something, but I like blood was in my ears. I couldn't <laughs> concentrate. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that I've ever walked out of a movie like that. I was definitely determined I'm never watching that piece of crap again until you said that you're for some reason, I thought y'all had already like scheduled a time, and then you yeah, invited me. Yeah, we did, but I, I just couldn't do it. It was too late. Uh, okay. And so whenever you invited me, I was like, you know what? Fine, I will. Uh, maybe I'll be calmer this time. I can have a little bit better viewing experience, and it won't be quite as bad as I remembered it. Or maybe the people I'm with will actually enjoy it, and they can tell me why they enjoyed it, and I can get some perspective and at worst, maybe I'll find my brethren to... <laughs> to yeah, to bitch about. Yeah. And? And it the was... The second time? It w- wasn't as bad, but it was still, like, outrageously bad. Yeah. It was slightly not worse. <laughs> 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 In the tiniest increments. <laughs> well, can I... Do, okay. Even if this movie didn't have a story arc, right? Which it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it kind of does, but it's so weak. Yeah, it really is weak. Um, I can even forgive that. The things that I cannot forgive, and that I will never forgive in any movie, like I don't care how good the story is, is the way it looks. If it looks like it belongs on TV, hmm. then I don't want to be watching it on a 70-foot screen. Because I paid $12 to see this. I I was excited. It's supposed to be, I mean, mul- like tens of millions of dollars to make it better look effing good. And 95% of this movie looked like, Wes, you could have done it on your laptop. You know, it would have taken a lot of tutorials. <laughs> but it, it just, it everything about it looked weak and actually, you know, tangibly looked weak. Mm-hmm. And cause you know, there's a difference between, and I, I've never been able to put my finger on it, but there's a difference between something that is cinematic and that belongs in a theater and something that is on te- television and whether that's the type of camera or whatever it is, I don't know, but it was something like star Wars. You better get that right. 
and it better look the, like that. Like, I mean, go go watch Rogue One. Mm-hmm. That there is not a moment in that movie that looks like it belongs on television. Immaculate. Yeah, even the stuff that you can tell, you know, that was probably a set that they built. Even that, it still looked like it belonged in that world on that big screen, and none of this does. Um, and even the stuff that is uh, CGI'd to be larger than life. I mean, there is, there is a cool moment on the, the salt planet that does look cinematic, you know, because you've got that white ground and then right just underneath the ground is, is the red. Mm -hmm. And, and so that was, that was actually really cool visually. But for the most part, the entire thing just looked sad. Like no, nothing, they didn't get anything right. They didn't get the story right. They didn't get the look right. They didn't get the, most of the acting right. I mean, we were sitting next to Scott and like 10 or 15 minutes in, he's scoffed, he's laughed and, and making all these noises. I had to lean over to him and say, dude, shut the F up. And not more than 10, 15 minutes later, I was sitting there thinking, I didn't need to tell him to shut the F up because I want to do all, I want to make all those noises too. I want to laugh. I want to, I mean, if you should have seen me, if there was a camera on me, from the beginning of the movie to the end, my face went from pure excitement. And my eyes were open wide to grabbing my hat, pulling it down over my eyes, just like, oh, I can't wait for this two and a half hour thing to be over. I, yeah, I give it a zero Damn. out of 10. I can't give it anything. There's no saving grace for me for this. Yeah. It doesn't lead me anywhere. Yeah. I it, like the next episode could literally be anything. It doesn't make me think, oh, this could happen with this person or whatever. The thing that made episode seven great, as great as it, as great as sure. it was, no, I, I mean, like, you. whatever, yeah. um, was the interaction between Finn and Ray. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. Their interaction in that movie is fantastic. You know, there's chemistry with them. They're both fantastic actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not they get good dialogue fed to them, sure. they can, they can, they're working with it. Yeah. They're working with it. They can deliver it. Well, they're not together at all in this whole movie. You, you introduce these characters that nobody has seen for seven episodes. And now all of a sudden here's this new main character that's with Finn the entire time. Who is she? And why is she there? What? Like the, the whole movie, why is she there? No, we need Ray with him. And even if not, they need to f- have some way to connect each other. You're smiling. Why? No, I just, I don't know where to start. I have, I ended up with more notes than I wrote at the, at the screening, at the, uh, the showing earlier, you know, 20 so, minutes ago, I started typing up my notes like I normally do. And I just kept adding on. I was mm-hmm. like, Jesus, I don't know. So where. what was Ryan trying to do? You said you were going to. Okay. So. He was, I believe, now I haven't read, I'm sure there's lots of cool little thingy majiggers on whatever website, io9, but <laughs> I like this is just me hypothesizing based on what I'm seeing in the film. And I think he's actually going for the destruction of Star Wars as we've known it. He's trying to reset, he's, he's upsetting the apple cart on purpose. And I think we can see that by... We ended episode seven, Ray meets Luke. She show, she's handing him the lightsaber. And 
we pick right back up where we left off. She gives him the lightsaber. He looks at it. He throws it away. That same lightsaber at the end of the film is split into two. Like he's destroying Star Wars. Kylo destroys his mask. We blow up the X-Wings in the hangar, right? And we abandon that ship. We burn down the Jedi Temple with its original books. And I think Poe... Oh, and we also kill Snoke without ever explaining his existence or role yeah. or yeah. why yes. is he so disgusting uh, We or powerful. Like, we don't know anything about this extremely yeah. old guy who is incredibly powerful. And somehow we haven't heard about him, you know, the 20 years prior in the episode, whatever it was, six. Or maybe we have, and that was something J.J. Abrams originally cooked up. So in a lot of ways, it feels like I kind of took it as Ryan Johnson was slapping J.J. Abrams across the mouth. Like, everything that you were doing, I'm undoing. Um, but also, it felt like he was talking to the Star Wars community at large that we're, we're making changes here. And I think we can see that in a couple of ways. I think Poe is a metaphor for the fanboys not wanting to evolve. We see him at the very outset trying to take on a, a dreadnought on his own, and it, which ultimately accomplishes nothing anyway, right? We, he gets it. He gets it done. But what does that really mean in the, the grand scheme of things? Nothing. And I feel like that's kind of been Star Wars up to this point is every time those maybe except the prequels. I haven't seen those enough to really know. Mm -hmm. But every time we get the screen crawl at the beginning. Why is it always that the rebellion's on the run? <laughs> We're, they never get the upper hand. Apparently, even after uh, the Jedi returns, right, when everything is good again, we have the First Order. We still have the Empire beating down on the rebellion. Nothing has changed ever in, in Star Wars. And so I think in some ways he's trying to upset that apple cart. But I think he's also trying to redefine what it means to be in this universe. And he's uh, drawing more of a parallel between our modern times. Maybe there's some really good, I don't know, subtext that's going on and theme with the uh, what was happening in the originals with the current day, the Russians versus America or, you know, still paralleling World War II versus America in the world. All that stuff, fine, whatever. I think maybe here, though, I think he's trying to draw parallels between the rebellion and the, uh, the empire and class warfare. We have the Jedi who have their servants keeping up the island, even though no one's really even been there. They still have, for all intents and purposes, slaves. But that's no different from the rest of the world. We have the casino. They have their servants running around doing these things. Uh, they're all war profiteers, the people who aren't on any side, who are making out the most, which is certainly mm -hmm. emblematic of today's times. Yeah, I think the most important part of all, though, is Ray. They were building her up to be, you know, one of the royal family, right? She was a part of maybe a, a twin that they separated at birth or whatever um, with Kylo Ren, uh, or she was Luke's daughter that he abandoned after he felt he wouldn't be able to protect her anymore from Kylo. I don't know. That was kind of the, the thinking of the force is an inherited trait, it's something that you get passed to you. It's not something that everyone has. And here, 
in this episode, what they establish is that anyone can have the force. She's mm-hmm. she comes from nothing and she has the force. And even at the end, it looks like that little boy grabs that broom using the force. Yep. Right. Yep. And so they're they're resetting who gets to have the force, and it's not just the royalty. It's not just inherited. We've all inherited this power, this secret silent power. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of very strong imagery that he's going for. The problem is he did it in a terrible, pointless movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the result of all of this right at the end, Snoke is dead. So he killed off also, you know, the this big badass leader. But Kylo is now our supreme leader. Luke is dead. Poe is I don't know. Is he more trusting of leadership or something? I, I don't know that we got a strong finale on his arc, um, but I think that's where they kind of left it. Uh, there's no more Jedi's for some reason, and so now the the slate is wide open. Although they also said that Kylo escaped with you know some some Padawans. So I don't know if those are in training or what, what he did with them, if he ate them to devour their powers, <laughs> <laughs> he fed them to Snoke. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where those guys went, but there's, in theory, no more Jedi. There's just the yin and yang of the, the Force. Um, and so I think that's kind of where that I could. That's actually going. really, that's really, really insightful, I feel like. Yeah, and right? I, I can I can see that. But that it, makes it doesn't make it even, a good movie. Yeah, it makes me even more mad because like that's cool. That is cool. There's a lot of opportunity. In yeah. That. Um, I mean, you know, to take something that is 30 years old and have the balls to completely turn it on its head is exciting. Mm-hmm. So make an exciting movie. Don't make something that's crap. Don't, you know, like wrap a diamond in, in, in shit, mm-hmm. you know, like. Let it shine. Like make a good movie around these ideas, yeah. and because it, at the end of it, it really just felt like he made a mockery of it all. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't that he redefined it; it's that he mocked it. Yeah, and that's that's offensive not only as a Star Wars fan but as a film fan. Like, yeah, like it doesn't matter that you know whether or not I grew up and was a rabid Star Wars fan, which I'm not, but especially if I was, I would have a right to you know, like be really upset. Yeah, but even though I'm not, I'm still offended because you took this amazing universe and and story and there's so many amazing things like what he's doing is even amazing in that context but he just like you said he wrapped it in a turd and it's that is offensive yeah definitely because you had opportunity and you squandered it what the i don't really i don't you know i was a little bit dreading doing this because even in movies that we say that we really don't like, like we, we tore apart Transformers, you know, Transformers was a better movie than this. It's hard to argue against that. Like I could probably sit through this before I sat through that one again, but I wouldn't want to sit through either. Honestly, I'll watch the force awakens several more times at least. Sure. You know, it's, I'll watch Rogue One the most, but yeah, right. But I will watch The Force Awakens. I enjoy it. Yeah, there is. I don't imagine ever watching this movie again. Yeah, I've never not. And and I mean, it makes me mad because my son loves the story of Star Wars. The the actual story of Star Wars is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, and it's partially because it was 
told so long ago and still holds a lot of of meaning today and you know so now i have to tell him these stories with the caveat of really just watch four five and six yeah that really yeah you know and come on disney what are you doing because what they have coming out next is the han solo spinoff and that sounds like a train wreck it, I, from I mean, reports on the set really yeah like they replaced i think the director halfway through shooting wow that kind of bad um but let me ask a few questions um that just burning in me which i've kind of i think i've already touched on some of these but i wrote them down i'll run through them does the rebellion ever succeed why do we always begin the films with them scraping themselves together and why do we care about these bombers sacrificing themselves at the beginning? We don't even know these people. Like, we're supposed to identify with them just because they're with the rebellion. But the only person we know, Poe, po. he doesn't die. He doesn't sacrifice anything. That's frustrating to start a movie when they're trying to make you care about something and you have no real investment in it at all. Like you said already, like the slow motion chase for the entire movie. Are we not in space? If you can go light speed why wouldn't you be able to catch these people like 50 yards in front of you yeah <laughs> that's the most absurd especially For two and a half hours especially and this is what and maybe i'm breaking my own rule, rule here i don't care but especially considering the very opening shot of all of star wars is a giant ship capturing a little ship it tractor beams them, right? Yeah. Reels them in. Mm -hmm. There is no excuse for, you know, that slow motion chase. That's the height of absurdity. And I also don't quite understand. They can track through light speed now, this breaking new technology, fine, whatever. But they, they can't see the transporters right in front of them. Yeah. That's odd. <laughs> Unusual. At the end when they leave the ship and they're heading to that planet. Yeah. The because they wouldn't want to monitor and know about yeah. a ship leaving or encroaching on them. Like, that's insane. Yeah, and then I have, like, these weird, the the hokey jokes. BB-8 plugging electrical holes in the ship like it's water damage or something. Yeah. That was weird. Milking the freaking sea cow and drinking his the milk out of his nipples. I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> <laughs> what i mean I, I we could sit here and rehash all of the the garbage that we saw last night um but it's, i really don't want to do that between you and me okay it, well then in that case let me do two three more things and we'll jump into this awesome interview yes that we have cleanse my palate a little yeah. bit so i will say on the cool side of things the visuals of poe attacking at the beginning was much stronger than what uh, they did in the last film. They mm. stayed largely in front of the ship because he's attacking. He's coming at us. We feel the aggressiveness, and they largely keep him in front. I think the only time we really see him from behind is when he does that little looping maneuver to trick those ships to getting in front of him. That's about the only time. The rest of the time... Which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the rest of the time that we spend properly, you know, visualizing someone attacking something. That's good. That's a good place to be. Uh, the other thing I kind of liked, which was a bit of a carryover from uh, his last film, Looper, 
the use of silence I thought was really cool in the uh, the warp speed destruction of all those ships. I thought the use of silence there was really strong, even though I don't understand what happened there. <laughs> because in the last film, we also established that Han can warp out and it didn't damage his ship, but I got the impression that she died doing this maneuver. So I no longer quite understand the dynamics of our trilogy. Does this thing kill you? Does it not? Does it destroy things in its path when jumping into warp speed, light speed? Does it not? I don't, I literally just don't understand any of that, but I still liked the, the visualization juxtaposed with the silence, like drowning out everything. Cause in space you don't get to hear explosions and stuff. And so that was one of the, although there is a ton of explosions in this film. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but in this one small tiny, right. Yeah. No, got yeah, it right. Got it right. Um, Okay, and the last thing, which circles back to the the point about Poe being a metaphor, um, I also think the the planet, the salt planet, was a metaphor. I think it was a metaphor for Star Wars fans. Um, the you have this thin white layer that draws blood on contact. <laughs> like Star Wars fanboys are thin skinned and can't handle mm-hmm. anything that goes against, you know, what they want. Yeah. I feel like that was a, a bit of a punchline at the expense of Star Wars fans. Uh you know, subversive in a subversive way. <laughs> hmm. It's interesting. I think it's funny. I, yeah, I mean, I I hope I hope that they were insightful enough that that is true. But <laughs> yeah. I, judging from the rest of the movie, I think it was just, hey, this would be cool if we made it like this. That's probably more fair. And 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 th- let's reiterate, we're Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. We're not fanatics. Right. We just love cinema. Mm-hmm. And this is a turd. Yeah. It, it, so it it's not like it's not like they made a a movie and we're mad about it because this little thing was off. No, the entire movie is garbage. And from front to back, there's not a moment where I'm like, where I was excited about being in there, except for the very first shot, the very first shot when it pans down and the camera zooms down to the dreadnought. I was like, Oh, okay, that's a a cool move. Mm -hmm. Zit. That was it. Um, so we're not bashing on it because they got little things wrong right. or they changed X or Y. That's exciting. Do that. I mean, you know, if someone were to have seen Empire Strikes Back and gotten mad about some, like they're not, you're not getting mad because it's a new world. You're still discovering it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you have fanatics after the first movie, but then the next movie you're still building it. We're in episode seven now. It should be built. It should be torn yeah. down. It should be. Those things that you said that he was trying to do, tearing it apart, they should happen. And kudos to him for for doing those things. Mm -hmm. But make a good movie first. Write a good movie first. And then you can do whatever you want to it, you know? And, And yeah, you'll have these these cults that that are that are angry but you're gonna have that and that's what it is 90 percent of the people that go and see star wars are not like that 95 percent of the people that go and see star wars are not like that they just either like cinema or they mm-hmm. like star wars a lot yeah. yeah so just make a good dramatic space war movie and there's nothing wrong with wanting to take down the uh, the royalty and say mm-hmm. being a Jedi isn't special. 
everyone can be that. Yeah. That's great. That's a really strong message. Absolutely. And I love it. Yeah. Because then it becomes more about who you are as a person. And if you can access that within yourself, that's a whole other challenge. And that's incredible. But yeah, to your point, like you still need to make a good movie that's yeah. watchable. And this is not. So can I just say one more thing and then we can. Okay. Get yeah, it. yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm almost glad this happened. Um, and I'm glad that we feel this way. It, it, it actually, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to really say this. When you hold people in such high regard that you feel like they're in another league, right? And I'm talking about Ryan Johnson. Yes. You feel like, which is man, how I how, felt. Yeah. How could I ever do that? How could I ever make a lo- write and make a looper? How could I ever write and make a brick? How could I ever write and make a Star Wars movie? Uh, and and you just you you think this guy can do it because he's been doing it a long time and he has all the knowledge and and the skill and everything. Just remember that Ryan Johnson wrote and directed this movie. This movie, he did some incredible films before this that he wrote and directed, and then he did this. So if anyone out there ever thinks you can't do something because someone else is better, just remember Ryan Johnson wrote and directed star Wars episode seven. There are no movie Jedi's. You, there are, (laughs) you can be a Jedi if you want to be. Yes, you can do you. There are, there is no excuse for not trying. How's that? And it's all about, it's not necessarily about what you know, but about your taste. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that. Yeah. And that's very important. In, in my job, I'm a designer. I didn't go to school for design. I just have decent taste. Mm-hmm. And I, I let my taste guide me. And that's kind of how I get through every day. <laughs> and I've, I, I don't know, I don't know if Ryan was, this has to be on purpose, right? I don't know. Anyway, bottom line is that there's no excuse for not trying, so just try. Amen. Because Ryan Johnson wrote and directed. <laughs> oh, God. I'm really excited. So yeah, because we were doing Star Wars, we wanted to discuss Star Wars with an astrobiologist mm-hmm. and uh, apparently a planetary chemist, which I literally did not know was a thing. But yeah, until uh, meeting Dr. Vance. And so the coolest thing, this guy... You know what? Uh, let's just get him on the phone. Joining us right now is Dr. Stephen Vance. Uh, Dr. Stephen Vance is a planetary chemistry and astrobiology scientist working at JPL NASA, heading up the habitability team of JPL's Icy Worlds Astrobiology Initiative. Dr. Vance, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here. So my first question when talking to someone with your mind and training and background and all the things you do is, does Star Wars get anything right <laughs> in general? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think of Star Wars as hard, hard science, but I think of it as, you know, it's inspiration. It, it's what got me started thinking about science. And, you know, I love that, that when, I, when I see one of these movies, I get to travel to a bunch of different worlds and, and see weird, exotic creatures, and I get to wonder how realistic is that. You know, so I'm, I'm fine if it stretches the bounds of plausibility. That's amazing. So you personally were inspired by Star Wars to actually go into your field? 
I was inspired by Star Wars to be inspired by science in general. I, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. draw a line and say maybe Star Trek: The Next Generation was a more direct. Uh, direct sure, yeah, uh, that seems a little bit more. Contact was probably even more direct. Oh God, yeah, we're definitely covering that movie <laughs> at some point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I get that. I definitely relate to watching just stupid amounts of sci-fi and fantasy and just dreaming about all the possibilities. Um, well. I have a specific question regarding Star Wars. They jump in and out of warp speed, right? They go, or light speed at the drop of a hat. Now, is the physics of the ship doing this, they're not strapped into anything whenever they're making these jumps. Is that accurate? Like, should they actually be thrown around a little bit more on the inside? Or is there some other level of physics at work there? Right. Well, you know, the, the warp drive in Star Wars is one of those examples of stretching plausibility so far that you just have to believe the technology is magic, things that we don't understand. And, you know, Star Trek gets around. Star Trek does the same thing. Uh, they, they try to explain it as, you know, you're riding some kind of space time wave so that you're you're sort of displaced, but not displaced, like you're moving space and time at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, certainly, by strictly the rules of physics, if you're accelerating up to light speed, it, you know, instantaneously, you should, it, you should, you know, splatter into nothing. Yeah. yeah that, that <laughs> That's be, what I expect to see every single time. Yeah, no, this is yeah. true. <laughs> Especially whenever they're all kind of, you know, jostling about in the cockpit. I'm like, if y'all are really being affected. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not selling it properly. Um Okay, well, what about life around the uh, the universe? Do do you imagine some of these life forms or some of these planets are presented in a realistic way? Uh, I guess in a more broad aspect, the idea of panspermia. Uh, if you could explain maybe panspermia and your personal you know take on it. Yeah. Um, well, let me first just mention that the world Hoth is often invoked in conversations of the kinds of worlds that I study, uh, that is, worlds that are covered in, in ice. Uh, and so it's interesting to wonder if such a world could have enough energy in its biosphere to support the kind of life that wanders around on Hoth. I mean, I have similar issues with Arrakis in, uh, in the movie and books, Dune. You know, there's some, there's some ecological considerations there. You can kind of give both Star Wars and Dune a pass because, you know, we didn't know much about global biogeochemical cycles on Earth, uh, you know, 40 years ago. And so, you know, we can stretch our understanding of our own, of our own planet by thinking about whether these fictional worlds uh, would actually be able to support life. You know, I guess, so panspermia is like a, that's a specific uh, consideration about about life in the universe. It's interesting to consider whether, you know, the DNA that makes us up uh, was formulated somewhere else, you know, billions of years ago and made its way here on asteroids. By that idea, you know, life originated somewhere, somewhere else uh, and just ended up here. And, and, you know, if we looked around the universe or the, the galaxy and found that life everywhere was like us, then maybe panspermia is the best explanation. I don't think current observations of asteroids really bear that out. They don't have DNA. They have amino acids. They have some of the building blocks of life. But it seems like the stuff that makes us up was built, you know, right here, made, made on Earth. But, uh, you know, it would be intriguing if, nevertheless, 
organisms on other planets, especially planets outside of our solar system, you know, had the same kind of DNA and had the same kind of metabolism and biology that we have, that would point to something similar to panspermia. That is that just like hydrogen and oxygen combine to make water, life is fundamentally dictated by the rules of organic chemistry. Whoa. And, and there, you know, and, and there aren't too many alternatives. I, I, I tend to think that there are other alternatives. Um, you know, there there are other amino acids that that could be used by life. There are other letters in DNA that could be used. Um, and so, these are all you know things that we can try to figure out by looking in our own neighborhood. These are the kinds of outcomes that we can we can think about. You know, if we find signs of life on. Jupiter's moon Europa or uh, Saturn's moon Enceladus, for example. And are those, um, just to, to kind of dive into your expertise a little bit, are those, pla- I mean, they're plausible, right? That's why you, you study them in the first place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how how, how plausible the- would you say that that, that actually is? Well, you know, I, I alluded to, you know, how little we know about our own planet and how much mm-hmm. we've learned in the last 40 years about the workings of our own planet. Um Life on Europa is plausible to the extent that we know there's liquid water under the ice. And we expect that liquid water has been there for multiple billions of years. Um, And we know that the seafloor of Europa's ocean is at pressures that are similar to those at the seafloor of of our planet. So we think Europa has all the ingredients for life. We like to say we think it has the, the liquid water that's been there for a long time possibly all the chemistry necessary to support life. Um, we know that on Earth, hydrothermal systems at Earth's seafloor uh, can support life independent from the sun. Uh, and we know that there are inputs of oxygen into Europa's ice that could support continued metabolism in, in Europa. So part of my work is to kind of try to quantify from what we currently know how much energy could be available for life. And so, yeah, life is plausible on Europa, but, you know, there's all these details we want to sort out to find out if it's if there are any any gotchas, any things that would would preclude the possibility of life, I know that 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 Titan there on Titan there's there's volcanic activity because of the the stretch the pull and the 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 push and pull on the uh, from is it Jupiter I guess uh, from the sorry I, so yeah yeah let's, let's, so let, let me just quickly like uh, like give you the advertisement for what are probably the the three most promising uh, targets for exploration in the coming decades. Uh, you know, we're on our way to Europa with Europa Clipper. Yeah. Uh, we might land on Europa in the coming decades. There's a, there's a detailed study that's underway for that. Uh, and there are a couple of uh, missions, as I understand it, that have been proposed to NASA uh, to go back to Saturn's moons. Uh, tiny Enceladus, uh, you know, it's like a tenth the size or a third the size of of Europa and and giant uh, Titan. So so Titan, the moon of Saturn, actually has its own atmosphere of uh, nitrogen, mostly nitrogen like ours, but with a, with a lot more methane and a lot colder, so that that methane condenses out as lakes at the surface. So right now, Europa Clipper is is a satellite that we're sending out over there, and it's going to land on Europa. Is that so? So Europa Clipper is going to orbit Jupiter and fly by Europa 42 or more times, building up a map of Europa through these successive flybys. And so the reason we have to do that, one of the reasons we have to do that, is that we want to stay out of the intense radiation near Europa that is really good at f- uh, frying electronics and fogging up optics. Wow. Gotcha. And then once so, you're, so, mm-hmm. yeah, once you're on uh, Europa, what... What exactly, what kind of experiments is the Clipper going to be able to carry out? 
Right, right. So, so the Clipper's not going to land on Europa. Uh, this is, you know, it's just the first step in our exploration that would open the way for a future lander. So, you know, currently, the, you know, we have very little high-resolution imaging of Europa, and the best imaging we have is, is at six meters per pixel over, like, a postage stamp area on the surface. So we want to map the surface at a, at a resolution that's sufficient so that we know where the boulders are, where the things are that we need to avoid, but also so that we know where the really interesting areas are, like where the freshly deposited materials are, possibly where the organic materials are, uh, and where stuff might be coming up from the ocean underneath. Uh, and it'll also have a radar that will see through the ice. So uh, with this ice-penetrating radar, possibly be able to get ra uh, radio reflections from the ice-ocean interface. So we'll both figure out how thick the ice is. We think it might just be 10 kilometers or so, that's six miles, which is similar to the thickness of ice in Antarctica. But not just map that out, but it'll also tell us how the ice is working, how, how it moves around, what the temperature structure of the ice is. So, you know, we might find brine pockets within the ice that might contain habitable environments themselves. So this, this mission will be about characterizing potential ecosystems in Europa. Awesome. Uh, I, I have a question a little bit going back to a little bit back to the Star Wars world, right? So one, yeah. of, the, one of the things that I find a little bit amusing about Star Wars and Star, not so much Star Trek, I think Star Trek kind of gets this a little bit better, but they, you know, whenever we send things to space, we send satellites, we send, you know, people, we have to, even when we send people down underwater here on Earth, you are so careful about the environment. You have to be, I mean, you know, any little a little thing goes wrong and, and it could be catastrophic. But you see in, in Star Wars things exploding and, and you know, it just doesn't seem like like they're very careful about, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the ecosystem that they're having to create, you know, uh, in outer space. And it's just kind of they're throwing it together. Do you ever see... And I guess this is a little bit of a leading question or like question you might not be able to answer. But do you ever see us being able to be in this to like, you know, build massive space stations in outer space? Not so much like the Death Star, but, you know, like in in episode seven, the Millennium Falcon is in pretty bad shape. Uh, it's almost uh, like a rundown old machine, old clunker. And yet. They can still fly it in outer space. There are there's no real huge problems or anything like that. D do you ever feel like we could get to a point where we could just kind of throw something together and send it up in outer space, or is this? Yeah, well, and I, I guess yeah. that's one of the things that I that I, I found inspiring about about Star Wars. Certainly, it distinguished itself from Star Trek at the time when Star Wars first came out of portraying you know space is this place that's that's um you know you just you can have a jalopy that's been around for a long time and it, space travel is just sort of taken for granted in that world yeah you know and so similarly i guess because they have this abundance of of planets out there at least you know according to the empire destroying any any given planet you know is is seems like they've regarded as more akin to you know, spilling oil in Alaska or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got a, you know, yeah, you've seen have, one tree, you've seen them all, you know. <laughs> they have a lot of a lot of material they can use from any planet that they want to build whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so part of the uh, the research that you're doing right now uh, does touch on seismology on Europa and maybe some other ocean worlds. What would that practically look like, especially if you're if you're looking at six to ten miles of ice? Uh, covering the ocean or covering the the planet, what would go into not only 
completing that kind of objective, but what would you hope to learn through that process? Yeah, so right. So I'm super excited about this project. We've been supported by by JPL for the last couple of years to do this, and I've got some support from NASA now. So our team is is thinking about the things that we could learn from seismology and how seismically active these bodies would be. Uh, so we're interested not just in putting a seismometer on you know a lander on Europa that might happen sometime in the near future, but thinking about what a seismometer could do, or you know a, a network of seismometers could do on Enceladus and Titan. And why, why this is exciting uh, from my point of view, aside from all the other reasons why seismologists are interested in general in listening to uh, different worlds, listening to our own planet, you know, all of the interesting stuff about life in, in these icy ocean worlds is underneath. In most cases, you really don't want to be walking around on the surface, especially not on Europa, where, as I mentioned, the radiation will fry you. So that applies to, to you know, life that would be in Europa as well. Organisms would need to, if we find organisms, they're going to be living in the liquid water kilometers beneath the surface. So what seismology can tell us is something about the composition of the ocean. So, for example, if the ocean is fresh water versus a seawater composition, if it's salty water, the sound speed in the water changes. And so by looking at seismic waves bouncing around in the ocean, you can figure out what's the sound speed in the ocean. And so you can infer uh, what is the salinity of the ocean. So it's, it's another measurement that helps you figure that out. And the salinity is important because the pH of the ocean is related to the salinity, and the pH determines what kinds of lives, what kind of metabolisms are possible. We know there are many different pH environments on Earth um, and different types of organisms that live in them. So we, we would not want to go swimming in a very low pH ocean, <laughs> gotcha. like battery acid. On the other hand, you know, our own ocean is, is pretty pleasant to swim around. You know, and in addition to that, um, we might be able to um, figure out what the rocky interior is made out of. And even if, there, if there's volcanic activity happening, uh, again, hydrothermal systems are really important uh, in terms of understanding how much energy is available for life. So if we know the composition of the rocks just underneath the seafloor, that can give us some sense, some hint at how much water-rock interaction has happened. So, so how, forgive my ignorance a little bit, um, but how positive are we that there is a liquid ocean under the ice? Yeah, yeah. So we, we have five, five, five worlds in our, in our solar system where we've, we've gotten good evidence for uh, liquid water oceans under the surface. And so I'll just focus on the satellites of Jupiter. So there are three satellites that we have that give us similar evidence for an ex- extant uh, liquid water ocean. And so the, the way that we determined, we convinced ourselves that there's, there's an ocean on Europa and these other two worlds is that the near surface of, of, of Europa responds to Jupiter's magnetic field. So Jupiter has this magnetic field that points a little bit off from the north and rotates really fast. And so it looks to Europa like that field is flipping over every five hours or so. And so when that, when that field changes direction from Europa's point of view, what Europa's ocean does is it generates its own response to that. It's kind of like, uh, I guess, similar to walking through a metal detector. You generate a magnetic field. So um, the conductors in the ocean respond to Jupiter's magnetic field. And so the Galileo spacecraft saw this induced response and said, aha, there has to be some kind of conductor just under the surface. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, okay, let me go really far in conjecture here. What would be, would there be hazard in discovering life there, uh, unintelligent life, such as a fish? Like, 
interacting with another species like that altogether, an alien species. Is there actually any uh, danger of contamination between us uh, or is our genetic makeup so different that there really is no possibility? Because I'm also thinking back to Star Wars and all these species kind of interact willy nilly. You drop on this one planet without any fear of getting infected or uh, being, I don't know, becoming ill from just breathing. In you know, no one, no one ever gets a cold in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just something that they don't talk about. You're right. That's, that's an issue. You know, space bugs would be a, would be a problem, but that assumes that the biology is, is compatible. Um, and so that, that's, it, it's again, one of those things that's wide open currently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, final question. Then we'll let you go. Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't <laughs> so want to. <laughs> Um, and so the idea of Fermi's paradox, uh, paradox, I'm going to like badly explain it here and then uh, maybe you can correct it and give us your own conjecture. So Fermi's paradox is the idea that mathematically speaking, there should with billions and billions of stars and, uh, billions and billions of planets surrounding those stars, uh, mathematically there should be just an insane amount that live in the habitable zone of those stars that support the right conditions, contain water, support all the conditions for life. And therefore, if mathematically there should be life out there, why haven't we come across it? And so I'm posing that question to you as well as, you know, correct any misgivings of my understanding of the, of the paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so there, there's something like a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, like 10 to the 11th stars. And we're now, confirming from our exploration, you know, these telescope observations, that the majority of stars have planets. And a few of them have, sh- have uh, revealed Earth-like planets. You know, so they've got a count of something like 4,000, I think it's up to now, planets total. Most of them are these giant hot Jupiter-type planets. Uh, but a few of them are planets that are in the habitable zone uh, and might be Earth-like. And so it's reasonable to suppose that some significant fraction of stars in our, in our, in our galaxy have conditions amenable to life. So, you know, even if, you know, one in a million of these of these stars has a Earth-like planet with life on it, and that life, you know, surpasses us in terms of its technological capability, that's still, you know, millions of, of intelligent civilizations out there. So, so what Fermi figured out is, um, gee, as soon as a civilization, you know, gets the ability to leave its host star, it should proliferate throughout the galaxy, even if it takes hundreds of thousands of years to, to do that, that's a, blink of, that's a blink of the eye. And so if, if it only takes one civilization to fully proliferate throughout the galaxy, you know, where are they? And there are a few answers to that. Some of them are not super happy answers. <laughs> uh, you know, since we're the only, only example we know of, of intelligent life uh, in the galaxy, you know, maybe intelligent life extinguishes its, it, itself before before it moves on, before it can move on. It's possible. Another slightly happier um, explanation could be that we're the first, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's in, in, improbable based on the numbers that I, that I cited, but it's not possible. You know, another, another possibility that uh, uh, Alan Stern recently proposed, he's, he's the charismatic leader of the, uh, the, new, the New Horizons mission to Pluto. Um, yeah. His idea is that they're all hiding out in the ocean worlds under the ice. I like that as someone who studies ocean worlds, but I don't yeah. see how it exactly solves the Fermi paradox. It just introduces another another paradox and possibility. But it does touch on the other 
possible answer to the Fermi paradox, the, the more exciting one is that they're already here and we just we just haven't seen them. Uh, and maybe they're under Europa's ice. That's amazing. Or we have seen them and everyone is right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the truth is out there. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Vance, thank you so much. Is there what can we do to learn more about what you're doing as well as support your efforts? Sure. Uh, well, you know, one fun thing, I, I had the good fortune to be the science advisor, a science advisor on the movie Europa Report, uh, which oh. goes through a lot of the basic science. Um, and, uh, yeah, so go check that movie out. Uh, it's a good one. It's kind of a cult classic now, I think. Um, yes. Wait a minute. And, we... uh, you know, they got tons of academic papers out there that people could check out. Um, it's really kind of scraping scraping the uh, the surface of, of uh, all this exciting life life detection stuff. Uh, I guess I could leave you with uh, our our audio file, the the sounds, possible sounds of Europa. Absolutely, because we, <laughs> yes. I was I was talking to Wes earlier when we when uh, you agreed to do this podcast, and I said, man, we would I would love to do Europa Report to talk to him when when we do a Pestle on Europa Report because we love that movie. I, I had no yeah, idea that you were advisor yeah, on that. We did not know that part. That's. Absolutely incredible and mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're gonna do that, and we're yeah, gonna call you and have you back on. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we would love Sounds to hear. Good. We would love to hear those sounds. Cool. Uh, yeah. So let me let me just give you a little more background. I don't know how much time you have, but I, I want to. It's important to me to express what what I'm actually. All the playing time for that you. you want, actually. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, so so this is the result of simulations that we've been doing. So I do these radial structure models. Like so, what is the best constraint we can have on how how big the core is on Europa? Uh, how much rock there is, how thick the ocean is, how thick the ice is. Uh, and then my colleagues, they apply statistics of, of events, of seismic events, so the so-called Gutenberg-Richter distribution, which explains or describes mathematically, if you will, how, how frequently a given magnitude of seismic event happens. So we've made a few assumptions about how, how strong a typical event is on Europa, but we've used that to then simulate what fracturing on Europa should be like, like what the seismic environment that results from that would be. We've also taken some results from a colleague of ours who simulates the ocean dynamics in Europa and simulated the pressure-induced motions under the ice uh, from plumes of turbulent water impinging on the ice from underneath. And so the last piece of that then is we put all that together and there are these tools that seismologists use to understand seismic information that take a low frequency uh, set of data, so in the one hertz range below the range of human hearing, and upshifts that in, in frequency so you can hear it. So what I'm going to play for you will sound really eerie, but just keep in mind, this is what the seismometer hears. If you were on Europa and this was actually happening, you wouldn't hear it with your own ears. Oh, my God, I'm excited. All right, here it comes. Not sure how well that came through. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. I can also send you the sound file. Yeah, please do. That would be great. So I was hearing little like flutters. Is yeah. that part of it? Yeah, so so the flutters are the are the um the actual fracture events. So what you have generally is this kind of like rumbling background, which is the background of the ocean. Incidentally, um if you set up a seismometer on Earth, like in Arizona, uh, on a tabletop, you will you will see a similar similar kind of rumbling signature that's due to ocean waves crashing on the continents. So that information from the oceans actually propagates through the continents. 
And then the, the little flutters that you were hearing were reverberations of the uh, infrequent cracking events that, that are happening. Wow. Yes, please send us that file so that we can... <laughs> We can put up. That's amazing. We're 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 sitting here. We have our heads in our hands. Like this is the coolest thing yeah. ever. I, I can't well, yeah, I'll send you the file. I'll also send you the link to the paper by my colleague Mark Panning. So mm-hmm. Mark Mark put together the sound file. That'd be perfect. Yes, that would. Um, anything else you'd want to cover? <laughs> oh no, that's 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 it. I really had a great time talking to you guys. Oh gosh. yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, sure, no problem. And uh, let's talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Doctor Stevens. All right, or Doctor Panning. <laughs> <God. laughs> Take care. Guys. Have a good man. Bye. Bye. Man, I'm Man. so glad that was that was incredible. That was like one of the highlights of my year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, listening, and I say this without any shame or reservation whatsoever, listening to the Europa sound model was, it literally brought tears into my eyes. I was just so humbled and blown away by the imagination and the idea of this is potentially what a whole other I don't know, a satellite, he, which is interesting. He calls it a satellite instead of a moon. I, I meant to bring that up with him because there's a bit of a war right now in the science community about planet definitions and moon definitions. And Pluto so, is a planet. Is Pluto not a planet? Is, is Europa a planet? Is it a moon? Categories and definitions are being contested a little bit right now. Um, and so I wanted, I meant to ask him about like, What's his intention behind calling calling it a satellite? <laughs> Dang it. But I guess that just means we'll have to bring him back on. Yes. Oh, and I, we know why. Oh, my God. We're going to be doing Europa Report at some point. Have to. Yeah. I, I We had no idea that he was a... An advisor on that film. Because you and I talk about that movie all the time. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I kind of want to go watch it again. I know. Uh, he, he, man, he's such a nice guy and, and just spent so much time with us. And I never felt like, like we were imposing. And, um, he, it was, it, he was excited about talking about that, which is so cool because in today's society, everybody just does something for a paycheck. But to, to see this guy who just, he, he loves science and he loves space and he loves, uh, studying it and, 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 and to be so forthright with his information and to share the sounds. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe we could, maybe there's a site out there where you can go and like listen to planets. I, don't, I have no <laughs> idea. I'm sure there probably is, but to be able to get it from the guy that recorded it, that's pretty, that's yeah, pretty awesome. That's special. Uh, oh my God. And we'll have links, you know, to Dr. Vance. We'll have, uh, he, he sent us some papers, including one about seismology of icy worlds. Uh, so if you want to geek out and read some of this stuff and, and read about more about the work that they're doing to explore our own solar system here, I think that would be really cool. And just anything I think that we can do to help, you know, keep those dreams alive, because that's the other thing is, you know, being inspired by Star Wars and by Star Trek, uh, even though, like you said, Star Wars isn't exactly yeah. uh, a precision of science. Yeah. Um, it's still amazing just to dream about traveling into other galaxies. And, yeah and exploring the universe that's amazing yeah i mean we are explorers you know like we always have been and and just now we're exploring with machines Mm -hmm. you know but we're still exploring and we talked about voyager being out there and just it's so cool i'm gonna need to go back and listen to it again because i didn't fully understand how they know 
there's an ocean under there. I mean, he just, he said it and in the moment I got it kind of, but it already has left my brain space. So I need, <laughs> need to go listen to it again. I just want to go fishing in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we probably would not want to be on that planet no, anytime soon. Um, so do you think that there's life on Europa? Ooh, on Europa on specifically. Europa. Yeah, yeah, specifically. Oh, you know what? I'm such a gambler that if I had to gamble, I would gamble for it. But now, would you gamble for it because you want it to be true? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but if you if you had no vested interest, if you didn't care if there was or not, do you feel like... I would bet against it. You bet against it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that there's so much activity in there, but part of me also thinks that you need a little bit more chaos than, not, than maybe that planet got mm. or that satellite than, than it got. You know, we had so much volcanic activity and lightning storms and all kinds of crazy stuff happening on earth that gave a really good chance for m- melding some of these amino acids together in order to form the first blocks of life uh, that I don't know statistically that there's a good enough chance for something like that to have happened on Europa, mm-hmm. but also maybe don't understand enough about its formation. Yeah. I, I feel like th- there's this, we don't really understand life. We don't. And that's know? the other thing is, Everything we do is based on us. <laughs> right. Life on Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then the necessity for water. That is, you know, there was, there was a time where we thought nothing could live in the deep oceans because there was no sunlight and, and uh, no, you know, fish were down there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now we know that there's plenty of life. And he even says, right, in these 10,000 degree whatever thermal vents underneath yeah. in the ocean, like we've already shown that there's, there's life down there. Yeah. Yeah. So in all of these places we thought there couldn't be, there is, um, I, if I was a gambling man, whether I cared or not, I would think there would be life Mm -hmm. there. Now, obviously I don't think it would be intelligent life. I think it would be, you know, like just the beginnings of life, um, Mm -hmm. amoebae or, you know, things like that. I would think that there's probably life on a few little, you know, moons or satellites around, you know, I don't necessarily think maybe jupiter you know since it's a a gas planet and you know probably not those those planets and stuff but maybe maybe the planets like like titan Mm -hmm. you know but it's a weird kind of yeah kind of thing you know i i don't i don't know i mean you look at mars they've they've shown that there was water on mars and there there probably still is uh remnants of it under Mm -hmm. underneath you know, I'm not, I'm not, sh- maybe there's life there that we just haven't found. But to your point about, you know, we don't necessarily understand life as well as we think we do. There's this amazing short story that I'll link to in the, uh, the notes on the, in the show notes that's called they're made of meat. They're made out of meat. And it's this joke. Basically it's a punchline about aliens observing us and saying, and they're having this conversation and they've been marking this sector and they're talking about, well, you know, so what, what makes them go? And one guy who's been doing all the observing is talking to his, you know, leader. He says, they're, they're made out of meat. He's like, oh, okay, but they sent us a radio signal. He's like, that's true, they did. But that didn't come from them. That was the machine they built. Oh, but, I mean, we, we heard their signal. Like, we, well, like none of those sounds, those sounds are coming from them, but 
they're flapping their meat. <laughs> like it's, they're still just flapping meat. And so it's this really fun, like two, three minute read that you should totally read. It's a fun perspective oh, and cool. just really interesting as a thought experiment as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, it's it. Star Wars, you go back to it. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome to think about the idea of having that much diversity of life throughout mm-hmm. the, the galaxy. Um, but my question about panspermia also was the idea that we run in Star Wars, right? They have all these bipeds running around, and I'm like, that's mm-hmm. got to be way too many bipeds. <laughs> so, but maybe if we all have kind maybe. of a similar DNA, that uh, there's some reason or rhyme or reason to it in that yeah. way. Um, so that's just me hoping. <laughs> yeah. The, panspermia is kind of interesting also to me because I think uh, I don't necessarily see it as a paradox. I mean, it'd be it'd be hard it'd be hard to find life even if it was intelligent life everything is so spread out and so far away that when we're looking at these things we're finding worlds we're finding worlds in the goldilocks zone and around stars and stuff we're not seeing the worlds i mean we're we're seeing little hazy pixelated you know like like dips in light when the world passes in front of the star, like that's what we're seeing. How are we supposed to discover intelligent life? I mean, we, we talked about it before. If some, if intelligent life that's out there looks at earth, they only have a very narrow window to look at earth and get something back. Mm -hmm. We've only been sending signals out for the last 50, 60 years. So, if they looked a hundred years ago, they wouldn't necessarily see any life. Yeah. So it's not just where do we, where do you look, but when, and was there intelligent life and it, and it fizzled out and we missed it, you know, uh, in looking at this one particular world. I mean, I think that there's so many different caveats on, on actually finding it that it doesn't not make sense that we haven't found it to me necessarily. Awesome. No, same here. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not distraught at all, at all over the idea that we've missed it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. It's been such a small sliver of time. My only fear is that uh, you know I'll pass before getting to uh, experience that moment in humanity, or even worse, that humanity passes before we get to. Yeah, experience. I was gonna say. What, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so much worried about me passing as us all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you again, Dr. Vance, for coming yes. on um wow. we were blown away and just so excited can't wait to talk to him again about your report and maybe uh something else after that I don't yeah know. I just, we'll just bring him on as much as he'll talk yeah, to us i have a total man crush right now yeah we're gonna get annoying <laughs> yeah oh just kidding yeah i'm just gonna start emailing him random questions yeah there's <laughs> a question a day. he's not gonna do that dr van do don't do that wes should i buy the no. cocoa puffs <laughs> I want your scientific experience on this. Yeah. I don't want to miss anything. Oh, man. Uh, Okay, so do you have a recommendation for the week? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, So I'm going to recommend The Truman Show. Just because I wanted something lighthearted that I think is like a really good movie. Yeah. Um, And uh, the premise is good. The writing is good. The acting is really, really, really good. uh, And it's it's very lighthearted. And obviously, I, I know that most people have seen it, but it just get it's it's only an hour and a half long. It gets in, it gets out, 
but it has a really great message as well. Um, yeah. That's amazing how some movies can do so much with 90 minutes. Yeah. That's, and others can do so little with, with almost double hours. that. <laughs> so I normally pick films very based on something to do with the movie we're covering. I know. This time I am correcting a mistake. I last week I should have I should have did this movie last week for Looper because it's such a good time travel movie. I I won't tell you what I did last week in case you haven't actually listened to it. But this week I'm doing Time Crimes. It's a great mm-hmm. tiny film. It's a Spanish film and it's excellent. And what's really cool is I can't I, I don't feel like I can describe it without giving it away. So I will say watch it and if you can get access to the dvd there's a special feature in there that lets you watch the same movie uh, in a completely different order that how cool is so amazing because it changes how you perceive the movie how you perceive the antagonist and the protagonist it changes your entire perception of it and it's just one of the coolest things i've ever seen Uh, so i would say not only watch that movie but try to get a hold of the disc to watch it the other way as well. Okay. It's worth your time. Time wow. crimes. Very cool. Yes. Man, that was good. So tune in next week. We are going to be doing The Room. Oh, man. God, what are we doing to ourselves, man? I don't know. <laughs> God. But not oh. only are we going to do The Room, I can't do that podcast sober. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Yes, I'm going to get drunk while recording that episode. Oh, this is going to be a wild mess. I'm so excited. There's no way it can end well. All right. What are we going to be drinking? What are you going to be drinking? I'm going to drink, I don't know, at least five shots of Jack Daniels. Okay, I'm going to have some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Deal? Deal. All right. I swear it. Oh, don't want to miss that one. A gentleman's agreement. Okay. Huzzah. <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll have some guests for that one too. Yes. Great. Uh, yeah. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes and also leave us a note saying what you'd like us to talk about and what kinds of things you find find interesting. Do you like it when we talk more about, uh, the ins and outs of the movie making, making process about what film they used and things like that? Or do you like us talking about just our opinions of everything? Cause we're really good at that. Yeah. I have no idea if y'all actually like when we talk personally about our lives and what that kind of thing to me, I don't want to hear that stuff in podcasts. So I try to like steer clear yeah. of it, but maybe y'all actually enjoy that. And stuff. To me, I don't really care. So I'm just going to yeah. talk about whatever <laughs> comes out of my true. mouth. So <laughs> that's what you get. This is, yeah (laughs) yeah exactly uh and uh make sure to visit the website and pass it around to your friends anybody that you think might like it um and this episode you can find at the pestlepodcast.com slash star wars the last jedi and we're going to leave you with a quote of the day this one appropriately comes from carl sagan there is no (laughs) it's not so easy (laughs) not so easy and you even typed this there's i'll leave all this in too i'm not gonna edit it out (laughs) good because you don't edit out when i screw up dude sometimes i usually do yeah yeah, i usually do do. but one time it was just too good (laughs) (laughs) all right uh from carl sagan there's perhaps no better a demonstration of the folly of human conceits 
than this distant image of our tiny world. I love that, especially in context with Star Wars, because you I've heard before that there's this thing that happens to astronauts as they're in space and they can see the the globe without its borders and they just get this overwhel- overwhelming sense of humanity and that we're all one. There's this unity that kind of overcomes you. And I like that in context with Star Wars because it makes me think, yeah, that's great. That's a really good kumbaya sentiment. But what happens when we start colonizing other planets? Mm-hmm. Then I think, does there become a sense of division even greater? Suddenly they are from another world. Um, and now you're starting to other people in whole new ways that we can't even imagine yet. And so it makes me curious, you know, what we're seeing in Star Wars could be um, a very good, I don't know, look into the future about what things to come. So do you think that if that were to happen and there would be a division between human, humans and a, an, an alien species, that that would unite humans? humanity as a whole so now the division is not you know canada canada and america and mexico it's the earth and whatever other planet i used to think so now i'm not so sure Mm. based on the geopolitical climate right now part of me thinks that we would maybe even see aliens unite with certain sects of people like you know just to throw out one random group like maybe the Palestinians say yes we're going to join forces with these guys because they understand what it means to be persecuted Mm. Um, or maybe the Israelis do that Uh, like you can make that case for so many people groups on earth and so I guess it depends with how how they're approaching us if they're approaching us like Independence Day then yeah yeah, I think we do join forces. Yeah, okay, <laughs> it cool. does make us one. All right, here's here's to the Independence Day result. <laughs> to our destruction, yeah, our complete and utter destruction. <laughs> oh man! All right, well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, make sure to tune in next week when we uh, do the room and Wes gets wasted. That one's going to be interesting. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.